Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a great week so far and you have something tasty in the fridge or in fact, you have a glass of wine in hand right now. And if so, well done, you're ahead of the game. (laughs) Today's episode, I'm quite excited, is going to be about biodynamics, organics and sustainable wine. I've got a great guest. He is the founder of Feel Good Grapes. Now, this is an online wine shop all about these three categories of wine. And basically, you buy a bottle and he plants a tree. If that's not helping the planet, I don't know what is. So we're going to meet him a little bit later on. So my winery of the week is Ancre Hill Estates, which is in Wales. Now, obviously, we always talk about the exciting, amazing wines coming out of England. But let's not forget that Wales is making amazing wines, too. And Ancre Hill Estates is a winery you'll find in Monmouthshire in Wales. They have 12 hectares. They're family owned and they're biodynamic and they are organic. Uh, They take eco very seriously here. Even their winery, the walls are made of straw bales and the roof is living. There's ecological pools so that they can save water and everything here is made it's minimal intervention so they've got the standard wines you can find some sparkling wines traditional methods your blanc de noir and your blanc de blanc and you'll also find a rosé they do some still wines chardonnay pinot noir all very comfortable and then they get a little bit crazy they have a range two wines in the range called sous genesis i've probably pronounced that wrong basically if you look up what Genesis means. It means it is incomparable to anything else because there is nothing else quite like it. And you will find an orange Albarino. Yes, that's correct. An Albarino, which is famous from the Rias Baixas region in the northern part of Spain. And they left it on the skins to make it orange. And then they have a pet gnat. And I am going to taste the pet gnat now. So on a request from one of my regulars, Mark Drendel, shout out to you. He has moaned, complained, (laughs) and perhaps just suggested that after the last two episodes, I have not been tasting any wine and he has been missing the sound of the wine pouring and my tasting note. So are you ready for this, Mark? Hopefully you're going to hear the pouring. Oh, it's just so satisfying. Oh, can you hear the fizz? So, this is a pet gnat, which means pétillante naturelle. This is a sparkling wine that is basically made in the méthode ancestrale way. So it's just a naturally made sparkling wine. Now, they're using the grape variety Triomphe, or also known as Triomphe d'Alsace. That gives you a bit of an indication where it comes from. Alsace is where it was made. And I say made, if you listen to the episode before on the Dutch wines, I talked a lot about hybrids and and how they're made and why people make them. This itself is a hybrid. So they decided to cross Pinot Noir with Gouache Blanc. 
And once they had that, they crossed this creation with an unknown American variety. So we don't know fully the history here, but you get Triomphe, which is an early ripening grape variety. This is a red grape variety. And the wine that I'm holding now is a red sparkling. If you don't know how pet nat is made, I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show. But for now, let's talk about the tasting. So it's really fruit driven. I get this kind of strawberry jam notes. It's really quite intense. There is something quite savoury still, like actually some tomatoes. If you actually went into a greenhouse, got that kind of herbaceous note to it. A little bit of baked plums as well, like darker black plums mixing with those red fruits. And mm, it's frothy and it's cloudy. This is an unfiltered wine. So, I mean, tasting-wise... Oh, it's lovely and refreshing. I have chilled this down. And actually, if anyone wants to know what Lambrusco is like, uh, which is a sparkling wine from Italy, this actually is similar to it. It's um, it's obviously got these red berries, but there's something a little bit savoury and a little bit herbal. It's, it's like sour red cherries with these kind of crushed leaves and, and kind of bramble. It's very sour on the finish. Um, and kind of finishes with this like olive tapenade to it. This kind of, it's not funky. Actually, it's quite a clean wine considering this is made very naturally. And really it can, probably bottle to bottle will be slightly different. That is the joy of natural wines. But I have to say it's not that funky, but it does have that tart spritz. Lovely acidity, some decent bubbles in there. I think people have said that this is quite good with barbecue. I I can understand that. Ideally, this is an amazing aperitif. Whilst you're waiting for your barbecue meat to cook, drink it. It'd be perfect. This is a great summer wine. Otherwise, kind of salami would be really, really good. Nice cold meats. Or even a pizza with salami and some olives. Boom. That's the perfect pairing right there. <laughs> So anyone who's after this wine, you can get it for about $13.99 on the Feel Good Grapes website and try and get it as soon as possible because it's Welsh Wine Week soon. So the 27th of July to the 2nd of August. So look out on social media and all the hashtags. There'll be lots of Welsh wineries educating you and inviting you into their winery. So something to look forward to. So let's talk about organic wine first, as I think that's the simplest. Effectively, it is a wine that the grapes have not received any pesticides or fertilizers, so they don't have chemicals. Nice and simple. However, actually, I don't know if anybody has noticed, now this is more relevant for the wines in America, the difference between seeing an organic wine, one that's certified, and it says this on the label, compared to one that says made with organic grapes. Now, if anybody has wondered the difference, if it's made with organic grapes, they can actually add sulfur into the wine when they're producing it. Now, sulfur is not as bad as everybody thinks. Too much sulfur, of course, is not great, but there's actually no link to having sulfur and you having a headache the next day. Sorry, guys. <laughs> if you have a headache, it may be because you drunk the whole bottle. Anyway, obviously, the less sulfur, the better. You also need to keep in mind that if you're going to make a delicious wine and it's all been made organically and no chemicals, but yet you can't preserve it because that's what sulfur is. It's a preservative. If you can't preserve it and then it just goes all funky and effectively gone off in the bottle, then what was the point? So there, there is a reason why sulfur actually can be a good thing. And so just so you know, if it's made from organic grapes, that means that they've added in a little bit of sulfur. Actually, in Europe, uh, we don't have that 
rule effectively you can have an organic wine certified and if anybody wants to be wine geeky here red wine can have up to a hundred parts per million so it's kind of milligrams per litre of sulfur in the red wine white wine and rosé can have 150 parts per million a little bit higher because there's generally a bit more acidity so that just gives you a little bit of an idea about organic wines nice and simple biodynamic oi now this <laughs> is a much more of a holistic approach this is all about creating a mini ecosystem in your vineyard and basically your planting actions go along with the lunar cycle so there is a lot of faith in this method as opposed to sheer science Now, taking this holistic approach, people who get certified, first of all, can be certified by Demeter or Biodivin. Now, in terms of when you plant, you're going to find that there are four days in the biodynamic calendar. These four days are root days, flower days, fruit days and leaf days. Now, I don't know if anyone's ever gone to a wine tasting before and had somebody say, oh, the wine doesn't taste that great. Oh, it must be a root day. So there's, there is a thing behind this. Very often people, when they feel like the wine is fruitier, they look it up on the calendar and it's a fruit day. And of course, the opposite if the wines aren't showing so well. Again, do you believe in this? That is up to you. Now, in theory, to understand those four days, this is when you plant or when you harvest. So fruit days are for harvesting. Leaf days are actually for watering. Root days are for pruning. And flower days, leave it alone. Stay in your kitchen and have a nice glass of wine. So that is what the farmers will do in the vineyards based on this calendar. Now, biodynamics actually started in the 1920s with an Austrian guy. His name was Dr. Rudolf Steiner. He was a scientist and a bit of a philosopher. And basically, he was giving these talks in the 1920s to farmers about how to integrate the science with nature in a better way. And this has been, you know, catapulted and continued until today. I personally think that nature works in a way that we cannot even fathom there are energies in the universe there are things that science cannot explain yet and one thing it's definitely a leap of faith having to go to biodynamics but if you speak to biodynamic farmers and viticulturalists they will say to you that the results prove that it is better anyway this is an ongoing argument and um, who knows when we'll get to the conclusion now some of you might have heard about this cow horn thing now I'm not going to explain what the cow horn is because Mike explains it later on in our interview but for the wine geeks out there this is called preparation 500 and preparation 500 is literally the most famous and probably the most important preparation that people do in biodynamic farming so watch out for that and we're going to talk about it later then there are other compost preparations so they use lots of chamomile lots of stinging nettles yarrow these kind of herbs and that is how you look after the land and the soils so then we get to sustainability so this leads me to the interview with Mike where we touch on this a little bit more and you can get to know what's happening in his wine shop and how we got into the world of wine So, everybody listening, I want to introduce you to my wonderful guest. I say wonderful, I'm not sure yet. We'll see how he behaves. Mike Turner, hello. Hello, everybody. (laughs) I have promised to behave. We shall see. Now, 
I want to ask you something before we get started. And the question is going to be how the hell you got into wine, because I've done my investigations. I've done my stalky, stalky bits. You did a degree in maths and statistics. You did a master's in finance investment, spent I don't know how many years doing investment banking. So how the hell did you get into wine? Uh, to be honest, <laughs> wine's probably the only thing that's made sense in that whole list, really, isn't it? Um, no, it was, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I suppose when I was a kid, I was just, just good at maths. Hello, girls. There you go. That, that's the sexiest thing <laughs> oh, I'm no, going to no, say no, today. Absolutely. No, um, you find that, you know, someone who can count up their, their bottles of wine, it's very attractive. Well, there is that. Yeah, indeed. And then, um, no, I mean, I did I did banking for like, just because it's one of them jobs you kind of fall into and not, well, I, that sounds a bit weird, but. Um, yeah, after a bachelor's anyway, degree I got and this- a master's. <laughs> I was basically just trying to get a graduate job at the time because okay. that's what you're doing it. You got a uni, you do that, you do that, you do that, you do that, and then you get a graduate job, and then that's mm-hmm. it. That you're off. And um, I did that for about nine years, hated it. And in the meantime, my mum and dad uh, bought this sort of rundown old farmhouse in northern Italy. Ah, and, now it gets um, romantic. Set the scene, please. It gets very romantic indeed. Okay. Yeah. So, well, the thing is, in Italy, there's this really well. It's the same, I think, in France as well. It's like when people pop their clocks, they tend to leave their houses to 13 cousins. You know? yes, so yeah. basically, you, get, you drive around these places and there's all these falling down old farmhouses everywhere because no bugger decides to sell them. So if we, I, I don't know how it happened, but mum and dad just went away for holiday and came back and said they bought a house. And it was like, we're not that family, trust me, we're really not. So it was a bit, <laughs> of, a, it was a bit of a shock to the system, that. But then um, basically all of our mates who we have in that area are all winemakers because we're right in the middle of Barbera Moscato country. Okay. And yeah, so we're like sort of 20 minutes from Asti, about 25 minutes from Alba. So it's that kind of area. And I just, this was at the time I was at university still. So I was doing my undergrad. So I was very much a snake biting black aficionado at the mm-hmm. time, as they, as I think you're meant to call yourself if you're into snake biting black. Yeah, I'd, honestly, I'd, I'd, I tried the snake biting black about five years ago for the last time in my life. And it was, it was, quite, <laughs> it was truly awful. But there you go. Got me through uni. But, uh, but yeah, and then I just discovered all these kind of wines and just, I think more than anything else, it wasn't like this eureka moment with a glass. I was stood in this vineyard and you'll, I mean, look, listeners, I, I hope you all know this uh, if you've been out traveling and stuff like that, but vineyards are nearly always beautiful areas of the world. Oh, well, you know, one or two exceptions are there, but like, no, I just I just stood there on the side of this mm-hmm. hill in Piemonte looking out going, this is so much better than an office. But also, I mean, winemakers are just fun people most of the oh. time as well. well Again, be- we'll not talk what? about the exceptions, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, they are. They're mostly just fun, interesting people. So you just sit there having an atter, and no, it was it, it. It just always stuck, struck me as something that was a, a lifestyle decision, I guess, to an extent. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, like I'll be perfectly honest. Like, I, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, oh god, wouldn't it be nice to be rich and all this? And that's why I went into <laughs> banking. I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you. So yeah, I just thought, sorry, you gotta be happy with life, and wine kind of makes me happy which is good oh brilliant I guess, well I remember you know. being in Barolo so in Piemonte and yeah. looking down at the slopes of La Mora and anybody who has not been to the Barolo region google it it is I completely understand why you fell in love with wine in that moment it's a special it, moment. It, yeah it's brilliant it was brilliant it was really good and then yeah so that that was about what uh, so I changed about sort of what about five years ago something like that so um, you chucked it in up. you've then yeah done... chucked it in 
You've got your blog, Please Bring Me My Wine, which I rather appreciate yeah. the, the title. And then you've mm. obviously... Am, are you still part owner of La Ferme restaurant? What's going on with the restaurant? Yeah, so basically, I mean, when I was doing... Uh, I started doing, like, a little bit of importing and trying to do a little bit of retail, and it was it was a bit of a struggle, you mm. know, like... And, I, you know, I wasn't really very good at it, and I wasn't, you know, like, it was a confidence thing, really, I guess. But I was basically started doing all these wine dinners at this place called La Ferme in Farringdon. So that was the first La Ferme. Oh, and then okay. I got to know the owner and the head chef. And then this restaurant became available in uh, Primrose Hill, which is close to where I was living at the time. And the, the chef, Guillaume, who's a very, very talented fella, and he, he was really looking for a place for himself. So I lost my mind entirely and uh, decided I'd invest, co-invest with him. I have to say, the whole idea was I was going to go in there, I was going to be like, make this amazing wine list. You know, I was like, I loved the kind of like the um, the ethos of all these places like 10 cases and things like that. I mm-hmm. think that, you know, it's, I really love that thought process behind a wine list. I think it's sure. great. And um, I thought, yeah, I could do that. Primrose Hill's right for it kind of thing. Well, two things. One, it's not. Oh, I no. Find out. And the other thing, well, basically, there's a reason rich people have money is because they, they, they tend not to it? spend it. Okay, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but the other thing being is that because of my sort of background, I ended up doing the accounts for for the restaurant. And if you want to be able <laughs> well, to sleep at night, don't do accounts for restaurants if you want to be able to sleep at night. Because I was like, I mean, I, I get I get pissy when I owe someone a fiver. You know, like I get nervous. <laughs> So when all of a sudden, like, you're dealing with all these suppliers and they're like, where's our money, where's our money? You're like, I'm kidding, I don't know, I don't know where it is, you know. So um, this wasn't as romantic but, as you had planned. No, it wasn't. But I tell you what, uh, Guillaume and Francois, my partners at the restaurant, uh, have worked their asses off. And I'm it's still going all the way through COVID. We're still going. We're, we're starting to break well done, break you. even, which is amazing. Well, look, as I said, you know, like massive credit to Guillaume and Francois, and then also my uh, my wife's skills. been amazing. She's, no, your counting. Yeah, skills. Well, don't forget about your counting skills. Well, no, I actually I, that to finish off the story, I've actually palmed that <laughs> off about six months ago onto my wife, who uh, oh bless who her, okay, does an amazing job of that now. So she deserves. Well, the she's very out. good at telling people where to go, basically, which is kind of what you need in that environment. But there you go, Bab. So she, but she no, it's. Still going, so it's great. She'll su- good. She'll survive another year of marriage then, while she's still counting well, counting strong. Uh, yeah, I think that At might least. be the other way around, but fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take that. You know, she's not here. Just pretend, big yourself up. Um, so you're doing <laughs> that, and then the most exciting thing, which is well for me, which is why I wanted to talk to you, is you've now set up. Well, you tell us about this online wine shop and the ethos behind it, because I just think it is really important what you're doing. So tell me. Okay, so I have co-founded a online wine retailer called Feel Good Grapes with mm-hmm. a guy called Toby Flood, who some people may remember used to... <laughs> he's going to hate me saying may remember. Uh, so he was uh, played... Well, he's got like, what is it, about 50, 60 caps for England rugby? Um, I, I, yeah, so, I, I, and he's still up there. He's still up there playing for Newcastle Falcons at the minute. So they're just about to get back into the premiership again next season. Covid not really, dependent yeah, and all that. Unfortunately, lot. not into. Yeah, sport, well, we'll see so. what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the easiest. Uh, it's not the easiest sport to play if you're social distancing. So I think they might have to wait a little bit. Okay. But uh, but yeah, yeah so get a little bit sweaty, Toby, um, it's a bit sweaty, bit close. Uh, yeah, so there we <laughs> go. Little cuddles, um, little cuddles. 
Yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's nice cuddles in the mud. I mean, you know, and they wear shorts. You go figure. But uh, no, Toby actually had a time. He, he spent four years playing out in France for Toulouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he started getting the idea of this sort of, I'm not going to say he's a, he was a pisshead, right? He really, really wasn't. But the point being is he was out in the areas like and, and spending his weekends in places like Fitu and Corbière and being able to experience mm-hmm. everywhere from sort of like anywhere around that region of sort of yeah absolutely you know i mean going pretty much from bordeaux all the way across to uh, savoy you know and uh, you know he Mm -hmm. got to experience that not just the wine but the the wine culture yeah as as we've said you know it's like it's what got me into it and it's clearly what's got into it and um when we decided to do something it was you know you can be another wine online retailer that really wants to support organic biodynamics natural winemakers Mm -hmm. sustainability uh, sustainability we might end up having to talk about that a little bit because obviously that is a slightly weird term uh, that we all use and very and what is it really quite sure why Uh, what do you think is happening in the wine industry then specifically and like when you're making your choices about what wines you're going to purchase what are you looking for what are you explaining to customers is the sustainability that's happening in the wine industry yeah I mean I think I think I think everything usually boils down to the ethos of winemakers and the, the the people producing it. And you know, we I think there's what do we call it, like four pillars or whatever they call it, a sustainability. Yeah. And um, whether it be sustainability in the vineyards, economic sustainability is quite a big one. There's a there's a guy called James Milton who's like the godfather of New Zealand biodynamics, and he said this thing. I, I'm don't know whether it's his line or whatever but he said you can't be green if you're always in the red no and that's I think, a you know, really like valid the whole point. people forget about that they do and I, th- and I think you know like now when we're trying to do this this business you know like we've made a pledge that all our packaging's 100% recyclable and biodegradable I mean all the way through to the documents enclosed wallets you know uh, and it costs money to do that it, it's the, these the packaging isn't cheap but I, it shouldn't be cheap we shouldn't you know we've had the 70s and 80s race to the bottom in terms of price in and this is what people think it costs and blah 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 and hey look you know I'm not gonna we're not gonna change people's opinions overnight that's not what we're gonna do but I think we all any of us can do and I'm not trying to be holier than now and it's really hard <laughs> not to sound it but you just think you know you just gotta do what you can do and what matters to you and I think the wine producers I just want to I, I like to be able to sit in a room with them and if I can't sit in a room with them at least sit on a zoom with them and try and get a feel for what really makes them tick Mm-hmm. And if I appreciate what they're trying to do, then yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll support tick. it. Yeah, we'll stick it on the yeah, it gets the tick, and then and then yeah, from there. Well, you've mentioned yeah, the two. Hey, you've look. mentioned your two pillars. Um, so the other two. Oh, right, would yeah. I yeah, would I be right? Because for me, obviously, when I when I talk about wineries, I'm looking at actually what they're doing sustainably inside the winery, and then also in terms mm-hmm. of social responsibility. So it's actually how they're treating their staff, the community, the people around them. So it would it, it, exactly would that, that be your yeah final pillars? Yeah, exactly that. So I mean, you know, I mean. Within the winery, obviously, that also incorporates, you know, it's everything from where do you get your energy from, how do you recycle your water mm-hmm. supply, blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. And then, yeah, the community one, I think, is one that everybody forgets about. And when you're looking at places like, for example, Chile, Argentina, mm-hmm. South Africa is a big one because obviously there, there has... South Africa is a, a country that's been changing in front of all our eyes since our, in our lifetimes, right? Absolutely. And um, and so the the idea of community in South Africa has has meant different things over the past ten to twenty years, I think. 
I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this as somebody from Liverpool. You know what I mean? It's like nobody <laughs> yeah, knows there's I don't been if, for, many struggles. Yeah, in I don't the want way. to put words in the mouths of South Africans or anything, mm-hmm. but you know, it it has been a, a you know a, a changing thing. So if you've got people who are looking to pay, I mean, it's it's really basic things. I mean, you can start off with a really basic thing of making sure people are paid a fair wage. You know, and that hasn't always been the case. I'm not suggesting so. I'm suggesting around the world that hasn't always been the case. Because you have a lot of, oh, as you know, you know, harvest time, you get a lot of kind of temporary workers come in all the way through. You need people out in the vineyards, you know, they don't always get paid a fair wage. And, and so it's making sure that you, your staff are looked after. You know, there's lots of great sort of wineries out there who are, you know, helping to build schools, helping to build uh, yeah. local kind of lo- local town or, or, or investing in their local towns. There's a brilliant guy, this is um, Derek Mossman Knapp, probably, uh, I don't know whether uh, yes. he uses it double barreled or Derek, not. But Derek, but in Chile, in Chile. That's him, the, ga- mm-hmm. the Garage Wine Company. Absolutely, and yeah. love Derek. not only are they incredible wines they really are but the fact that i mean the fact is he's bringing not not just on his own of course not just on his own but you know through his ethos and the ethos of people around him he's basically making sure that the small community he's part of has got a future and i mean if we're going to talk about sustainable sustainable just means are you still to me it's like are you still going to be here in 100 years time and you know and, and as i said Go on. No, I was going to say, but actually then that that also ticks into being more organic and biodynamic, which is, I suppose, the other filters when you're choosing your wines, right, for the wine shop, which is, again, why are people not putting so many chemicals and everything? Because it is damaging the ground. I think, I can't remember, the guy in Burgundy, I think it's Claude, well my good French, Claude Bourguignon, the guy basically in 1980. Oh, in, in the 1980s, yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. he turns around and he says, um, I declare all Burgundy vineyards dead. So much yeah. chemicals were used on those vineyards that that's not sustainable for the future. And I think that's why everyone is now, to some degree, obviously mm. everyone is different, trying to use a lot less, you know, be more I, natural. I think that's it. And I, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to completely shoot the agrochemical industry because look, I think what they had to do when that kind of stuff came out, they've had to become so much more savvy, a hell of a lot more R&D going into the products that they're producing. And to an extent now, look, that nobody in the world is using the same similar kind of chemicals as they were in the 1980s. That just doesn't, well, maybe one or two, but let, again, let's not go into that. But look, I, I would always say that to me, biodynamics is something that I really, really appreciate. Uh, and that's kind of sort of like almost like a, I suppose you'd describe it as almost like an organics plus lunar cycle thingy mm-hmm. altogether. But it, that's very much a, almost a lifestyle choice, almost. But it, it, it's really like a faith buy-in. It's like, it, it's one of those things where I believe science hasn't caught up to it yet. Well, it's a much um, more holistic approach, isn't it? And I yeah, think, abso- I think, absolutely. Again, people yeah. don't, I don't know if, do you think, consumers understand biodynamics what does biodynamics mean is that still something we're far from Uh, i don't think it's very far from it's just i mean but i think i think you and i both know like wine has always had an issue with consumers understanding anything Mm -hmm. on a label to be honest because we no bugger makes it easy for them do they and (laughs) and so i think once you kind of and it's on the on the website you know one of the first pages i actually built when i was making a website was eco terms explain i mean i i hate using 
words like eco terms it sounds like so sort of you know no yeah, I think yeah, no. yeah. but what else are you gonna what else are you gonna say I'm trying to think of better ways of saying it but no but I tell you yeah. what I love some of the you know I, I was reading about I think it's Tohu Wines in Marlborough they, they use crushed mussel shells so that they don't have to they can reduce their use of herbicides you know and I also was listening to another podcast actually um, about a producer in Colares which is really is the smallest wine region I think in the world which is actually in Lisbon in Portugal and they use human hair over the vineyards to stop the rabbits coming in um, which I just think you know it's there's so many different interesting amazing it, ways to if I'm honest that that last example kind of raised more questions than answers if I'm honest <laughs> <laughs> I was just like where are they getting that from oh, uh, no, no absolutely from the, barbers, from the barbers I just that they specifically said okay the fair enough okay fair enough okay um no i mean the i think this is it and i and i and this is why like i think when i hear people not criticizing i think but being very dismissive and i hear a lot of people being dismissive of biodynamics because well you know there's no scientific proof in any of that kind of thing you know and you're just like mm-hmm. look you've got six seven thousand years of agriculture that used to do it this way you know by everything by the lunar cycle and it we're only looking at sort of like the the sort of 20th century when that changed really and um it on a, on a mass scale and and i think you know the, there's that if people haven't heard of biodynamics there's all these things called preparations and it basically you sp- either you spray it or use it as a compost or something and it's all designed to basically boost the the vineyard's immunity uh so it's kind of like when you take your kids to chicken pox parties or something like that you almost want to yeah you know you basically want the vines to just build up their own immunity so you don't really have to spray anymore Absolutely. And there's this one thing they do where they, which I, I know you know, like, but um, just for the benefit of the listeners, please. Um, go where on. they put basically stick manure in a cow horn and bury it, right? I love a bit and of so cow poo. Now everybody's like, "What the heck are you doing that for?" Kind of, why would you bury it? Kind of thing. But they've spent, you know, a good few research hours, and well, not just hours, but years, trying to Absolutely. replicate what the cow horn does not necessarily the manure but like how it helps the manure and decomposition mm-hmm. and they cannot replicate what a cow horn does i'm not suggesting like oh my god well that proves it's amazing i'm just saying <laughs> that i'm just saying that there are certain things we cannot explain and that at, mm-hmm. at the minute there's certain things we can't we can't replicate naturally and I, th- this is why like, i'm not massively against the idea of agrochemical companies really trying hard to make incredibly minimal impact products you know, because there are certain wine regions of the world, like, I mean, let's go for something like the Loire Valley or even Bordeaux at times. It's like organics is hard, you know, because if you get a crap bit of weather, that's your year gone, you know, and, and let's let's not have it. You know, this is why, like, as much as we can be all like, oh, yeah, no, everybody should be organic or everybody should be this and things like that. You're like, well, to as we say, going back to that, you, you need to make some exactly, money as well. Mm hmm. That's it. So and this is why like, we, we shouldn't bash everybody all the time, but I, well, I just think it's about people's ethos overall. I think it's interesting you just touched on that. The thing is, if people are using more, you know, the lutte raison, you know, the reasoned struggle or the reasoned fight is what they say in in France. And I think the majority of winemakers, that basically that means that they use chemicals only when they have to. The more organic you are, the more biodynamic you are, it seems that the more the, the, the ecosystem, the vineyards respond. And then in theory, sprinkling a little bit of chemicals here and there when necessary, you're going 
going to be doing it a lot less anyway and the the vineyards will be stronger and, and better able to adapt mm-hmm. and it just goes round in a circle I think really I fully agree and I think that there are still people out there making wine in what we call the conventional way right and that mm-hmm. does happen so the idea for me of like people making organic producers and biodynamic producers and sustainable sustainable producers or whatever all having an argument about who's better it's just the most ridiculous thing because you think guys everybody here is for whatever way they're doing everybody's trying to move in the right direction so let's all just not have a go let's all just (laughs) move in the right direction and basically pull up everybody who hasn't started yet and as you said most people are now very a hell of a lot more conscious about this you know i mean look you know there of course the the big brands the sort of five pound bottles of wine on the on the shelf i mean that is they're uh, not going they are not going to be organic and sustainable and they're not going to be using biodynamic no i mean effectively i I don't know whether anybody watched this there was there's a a program a few years ago called hugh's chicken run where he did this expose of like hugh fernley went and still did this thing where he said look you used to be able to buy two chickens for a fiver at, at big supermarkets or whatever <laughs> well you know yeah and and so he basically did this expose of like well how, this is how yeah. you can do it and so okay. he, he showed people around intensive chicken farms mm. and blah 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 I just, oh my god it's like people were coming out you know being sick out of these places and and i'm not suggesting it's that but i just i, I remember actually having a chat with um probably over a over a glass or something knowing him but uh, <laughs> with with this guy with oz clark and sort of saying dude man like you've got to do a tv show like this and go and sort of stand there in these vineyards and go and show what the real price of a five pound bottle of wine is people because be it's you know it a couple of pence. Well, I think, so. and I, you know, the the desertification is that that's the word, isn't it? I stopped geography when I was fourteen, so I'm just going for that. But <laughs> the what, it's what? about, but you know what I mean. The desertification is that what you call it? Oh, but basically, the, um, when you there are, I mean, we're talking hundreds of square kilometres of areas of Australia. I mean, obviously, Australia has its issues with its view on climate change or the government in australia anyway but Mm. um the the bigger some of the bigger brand wineries you know they're they're responsible for hundreds of kilometers square kilometers of desertification you know and and Mm. because they're sticking vines in places vines should not be and they're rerouting water to places water should not be and all this kind of stuff you know and it's um yeah and and i think that's you know like i get it from the big brand point of view because that's just what they have to do because i mean look i've never been a supermarket buyer and i don't think you have either and you know i mean that everybody's under pressure to make an extra sort of 5p out of a bottle you know i mean that's how low margins are at that point so and until people stop buying it then nobody's going to stop doing it no this is true but the nice thing is anyway for anybody who does not want to spend five pound on what's not really wine and they want to have wine now that they know the people are treated better the vines are you know better you know there's there's less pesticides which means it's going to be healthier for them anyway they can come to to you feelgoodgrapes.co.uk is that the website uh dot com dot com com. yeah just really quick to say, um, we we're really lucky, I think, right now because we we live in an age where people are a lot more aware and actually want to know more. Yeah. Uh, you know, even twenty years ago, this wasn't the case. So now we're very very lucky, and so there are plenty of producers for me to choose from nowadays, which is amazing because 
you know, everybody is really starting to pull their socks up as an industry, as a, you know, I mean, it's an agricultural industry. We have to yeah. do it. So, um, and it's brilliant. It's great. So I get some lovely wines that I get to choose from. And then obviously with the, with all the options, the add-ons and we plant, uh, this again sounds a bit twee, but it's just something we really wanted to do. We, we plant a bottle, of, we plant a tree for every bottle of wine we sell. Yes. I can't believe I, I didn't even mention yeah. that. I'm glad you did that. I, I just remembered that. that. Exactly. Uh, well, just, you know, just something really important. We drink wine, you plant trees and we save the world together. Yeah. This is super exciting. Well, that's it. No, it is. I mean, it every isn't. wine has a, every wine has every bottle has a carbon footprint, and that just is what it is. Until mm-hmm. we, and again, I, I'm I'm more than up for it. At some point, I'd love to be able to sell a decent range of wine in cans. I'd love to, but at the minute, it's not you easy because just the way. What about I, just, I, what I think about bag in box? Because I was drinking Le Grappin, that the range that they do some yeah. Burgundy wines and some Rhone Valley wines, and their bag in box options are actually very very good. So I think bag in box is actually really getting there in terms of quality is that something if you find the right producer you might get some absolutely i mean they are doing it slightly differently i think in the from what i remember they did a lot of refillable bags is that was that what you remember was it more bag in box but i remember when they used to come to a lot of they used to come to a lot of farmers markets around london mm -hmm. and do refillable bags and i thought that's a good idea i like that one the issue with the bag in box and actually there's oh my god right this is proper one for wine geeks all right you ready for this people (laughs) smurfit kappa the packaging company have just done a rather large research piece on bag in box people's attitudes towards it the recyclability of them and things like that Mm -hmm. look they are yeah they're fantastic there are always parts like you know the actual plastic tap and things like that that actually aren't recyclable at the minute um i I think um i think again it's just opening people up to different packaging options i think bag in box is brilliant for uh for like if you're gonna have like a party or whatever you've got like about five or six mates together or Mm -hmm. obviously not right now socially distanced and all that (laughs) but you know if you've got people around it's like it's a great option as long as Mm -hmm. you look let's be honest Deep that, as long as it's got good wine in it, it's a great mm. option. You know, That's, and this, well, the Grappan is, is great wine, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bloody right, it is. You know, I no, mean, look, go on. No, 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 I was going to say, tell me, I want you obviously, you've got amazing wines on your website. I've already had a look, I've seen some fantastic producers on there that I'm super excited about. You got a favorite? Is there a favorite on there or something that you're really enjoying drinking? Just, you know, so people can maybe go straight to that if they want to go on the website. What's, your, what's the fave? Do you know what? My absolute favourite, and there's this, as with everything when it comes to wines, I think wine and food is there's a story behind it, and it's about the memory it has for you, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And the the one on that website is the Casa di Bianca Moscato d'Asti from Gianni Dolia. Ah, uh, Piemonte again. Okay. That's yes. it. And Gianni, so this was 2001 when I first went out there, mm-hmm. and Gianni was like one of the first wine producers I met. And he basically introduced me to Moscato. I'd never had it before. You know, oh, Moscato yeah, is, is perfect for and, summer for anyone. It's soft. It's uh, got a little fruitiness and a fizz. It's about 5% alcohol, so you can drink a whole load of it. Peaches. It, carry on. It's it's amazing. <laughs> no, um, but basically, no nobody bloody drinks it over here because... Yeah, I think everybody's got long, long memories of really bad Asti Spumanti in the 80s and 90s and whatever. I think people and, don't and, understand um, what Moscato de Asti is. I think actually, and that's something that yeah, we oh, we need ab- to inv- get that out there more because it's a fantastic Absolutely. drink. Absolutely. But that's a, his single vineyard selection, mm-hmm. uh, Moscato d'Asti. It's like, oh, it, it's 
it's immense. It's absolutely immense. But oh, I no, I, I love. Um, but that's a great one. It was a bit niche though. But I think the the Tendu range from Robert uh, from Steve Mathiason. I keep oh, calling him Robert. Mis- I don't know why I do that. But there the you go. It's Steve Mathiason. I mean, anybody there who thinks that Napa Valley in California is all about just Cabernet Sauvignon, I love the Mathiason wines. They've got. I know you've got the Cortese, which is a, 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 a Piemonte. A Piemon- Piemonte. Yeah, that wasn't that right? wasn't deliberate. I just like the wine. Honestly, I swear. You know. But and then, but yeah, no. And then we got, we got their red blend as well, which is actually mm-hmm. also so with their red blend. I mean, he wanted to do what did he say? He said he wanted to do a Beaujolais style wine using Italian varietals in California. I thought, why not, mate? Go for it. I love it. And, they and do, he's he smashed it. He's done great, you know. Rafosco grape variety. They do Ribolla Gialla. So they, they they love their Italian grape varieties. That's for sure. They do. It's amazing. And and again, like when you go to sort of sustainable, you know, when you look at the sort of sustainable message in that, it's just little things that he does well it's things like i think they use the most lightweight commercial bottles available so they're, they're ridiculous like lift that you're just like oh my god it's like half the weight of a normal bottle of wine it's crazy you know so it's, you have to really drink good, two you know? just to, to make it feel normal yeah? just to check yeah exactly well otherwise you don't get the exercise in your arm do you Pouring. yeah that's very that's problem, very important you know? that's advice for everyone to know to buy two bottles of the matthias and cortese or the red blend do it um, I it, also right, love you've got some great English wines as well I love you've got the 40 Hall Vineyards which um, actually I, I found out recently Will Davenport is the winemaker who makes obviously the Davenport organic wines they've got a great mm. winemaker and it's London Vineyards actually London Vineyards I, I googled them they're up in Enfield so that's that for, for, for British people who are feeling a bit authentic that's yeah I, yeah. I have to say that meant quite a lot to me that one because like, I, I was a bit sort of not disingenuous but I've left out quite a big part of why I left banking so basically I I developed pretty bad anxiety condition and left led into depression. Forty Hall is also a social project. And what they they do is they give don't they? They do. And it's all about ecotherapy for people that are really struggling with confidence, struggling with their mental health. Something very personal. Um, It's uh, I I just like, you know, I almost cried reading the thing, you know, because I think again, I left I left what, 2013, 2014, so we're not that long ago, and none of this stuff as far as I was aware, none of this stuff existed. existed. I had to leave banking on, uh, yeah, I'd, under. I, had, I mean, I know they they did exist at the time, but I didn't know about it, obviously. And, and I felt at the time in 2003, I still couldn't talk to people about it. I basically lied to my colleagues at the time as to why I was leaving. Now that's actually um, something that I think we're we're so the world has opened up so much more. Mental yeah. health is a thing that we can talk about that that people can actually speak of without shame. And they say mm. uh, the Drinks Trust, our amazing hospitality charity that we have in the UK, have done yeah. stunning things, especially during COVID. They've been amazing. But even before that, one in four of us is struggling with something pretty big. And you just realise, hang on a minute, that means that most of my friends and my family have something right now that needs to be discussed and I just any these kind of projects and community things that allow us to talk openly and and get the help I, yeah fantastic so everyone can we drink some 40 hall vineyards <laughs> uh, yeah absolutely look you know well they do I mean look like like with all English vineyards and, and Welsh vineyards I'd like to point out they make so look we, we got a great climate for the sparkling wine and everybody everybody sort of knows that that terroir is really good for that the soils are great for it and things like that mm. but Bacchus and I, I know a mate of ours, Joe Wadsack, uh, oh, yeah. does the drinks coach on YouTube, okay. and he did it. He did like a ten minute 
uh, video on Bacchus as a grape. And uh, yeah, really underrated grape. You know, people don't really buy it because they might not have heard of it when they see it on the shelf or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, get, get stuck into that. I mean, English and Welsh Bacchus is, is yeah, very, You've very good these days. Heard it here first, people. Um, thank you yeah. so much, Mike. Um, I, I, I'm done with you now, as I promised. I'm telling you to go. No. <laughs> yeah. As promised, All right, understood. I'm understood, ma'am. Off you yes, go. ma'am. See ya. Yeah. Um, okay. It's been great chatting. I hope the business is really well because I just really like the authenticity of it. I love that you're planting trees. I love that everything, that all the packaging you're doing is recyclable and people can just go to your, to your website and buy a wine that the winemaker has looked after. It's, you know, somebody in the society has done something great um, and they can feel good about what they're drinking. So well done you for putting this together. Uh, look, thanks so much for having me on. And Jason, that's, uh, sorry about a few of the swearing bits. <laughs> sorry about that. I, I, I do try not to do that. Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah, but next time, sort it out. No. Thank you so yeah, much, we'll do. Mike. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. Take Bye. care. Well, I don't know about you, but I am definitely in the mood now for a Moscato d'Asti. <laughs> so Moscato d'Asti, we touched on it very, very slightly. I'm going to go into detail about what that delicious, amazing kind of fizzy drink is. There, there are two different types of Asti products, Asti Spumante and then Moscato de Asti. And the difference between the two, they're made in the same way, but Asti Spumante will always have more bubbles. It's fully sparkling and generally is slightly less sweet and it will be slightly higher alcohol, maybe around the 9% ABV range. Moscato de Asti is about 5.5% roughly ABV. It is pretty sweet and we're talking just a little bit of fizz. Now, if you've ever wondered how it's made, this is very different to the Charmat method, which is how they make Prosecco in a tank, the tank method. It's very different to how they make the traditional method, how they make it in Champagne or English sparkling wine or many places around the world, Carver, uh, Cremant. This is the only sparkling wine method that doesn't start already with a still wine that has been made. So it doesn't go through a second fermentation. What happens is they take the must, so they take the grapes and and they leave the grapes almost at freezing point until they're ready for the wine. Then when they're ready to make the Asti Spumante or the Moscato de Asti, they warm up the must they start fermentation in a pressurized tank and a byproduct of fermentation is carbon dioxide. So at a certain point, depending on which one of the products they're making, they will then trap this carbon dioxide inside the tank and they will stop the fermentation by chilling it down. And then you can choose if you're going to have the sweetness or how much bubbles. And that's generally how the two are made. Now, Moscato d'Asti is just gorgeous we are talking it's fruity it's floral think peaches apricots it's a little bit musky some orange blossom and of course not very high in alcohol so you can drink a hell of a lot of it it's very normal to actually get muscatid asti in half bottles as well so 375 milliliters um perfect pairings would be really fruity dishes and very nutty desserts so fruit tarts peach apricot tarts are obviously perfect also you know the almond italian biscuits they're amazing don't pair this with chocolate something like that is going to be far too rich because this is a really light fresh fruity dessert wine basically another pairing it goes quite well with cheese especially if you're having nuts and fruit and gorgonzola a creamy soft gorgonzola this will be where the opposites kind of the sweet 
sweet and sour come together. So you can really play around with that. After talking about how Moscato de Asti and the Asti method are made into sparkling wines, as I mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast, when I was tasting the Pet Nat, this is made in effectively the method ancestral. This is the most natural and the oldest way to make a sparkling wine so basically what you do is you take the grapes when they're still fermenting you put them in a bottle you add on basically a crown cap so that the co2 that is produced as a byproduct cannot escape and that's how you get your bubbles you're not going to have as much pressure inside the bottle as a champagne, the traditional method, because there's not as much time for those bubbles to be created because, you know, half the fermentation has already happened before they put it in the bottle. What you will get, which is different, is a cloudiness to the wine because there is no filtration, no fining. This is a much more kind of rustic style. And also at the same time, there's no added sugar. So generally you're going to get a drier wine. This is also the same in Prosecco when you see the label Colfondo. That's a method ancestral. So if anyone is wondering what pet nat is or what Colfondo is, now you know. So to finish off after talking about the health of the vines and what preparations to put onto the soil, I thought I'd finish with a nice wine quote which looks at us as human beings. Now, Alexandra Fleming, who was the microbiologist who invented penicillin, said a really nice little wine quote, which is, penicillin cures, but wine makes people happy. (laughs) Something to always keep in mind. So cheers to you all, guys. May you all have a lovely week. And may I ask you, if you haven't already done it, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to this podcast on whichever podcast app you're listening to. Please leave me your comments. Leave me your reviews. What do you want to listen to? And of course, share this with the wine lovers that you know. Until next time. Bye.